So as many of you may know, Reverend Patrick Cameron and, um, and Laura are on their way to Australia for the Parliament of World Religions. And so we have a special guest speaker today. Many of you already know and love her. She is um, a minister, staff minister here, has been a staff minister for over three years. She is the very, very much loved leader of our youth group, our youth our youth programs in the basement. Um, she loves to share this teaching with teachers of all ages and all stages of life. And so would you please give, join me in giving a warm welcome to our own Reverend Connie Neeson. Good morning. Welcome. Nice to be with you today, here with you today. So let us get comfortable where we are. Close your eyes if you like. Take a deep breath. Just allow yourself in your mind to be present here and now. Take my words as your words or not. And let us remember that there is only one, one power, one presence, one infinite divine intelligence. And all that it is, all the unconditional love, all the joy, all the harmony, all the magnificence and the intelligence that is the substance of its beingness, is the substance of your beingness, my beingness, and the beingness of everything that we see, feel, and know. It is the creator of all things. And everything is created because it is already a thought in the mind of this one. You are a perfect thought in the mind of this one. And just as the acorn contains the oak, within you there is that contained to blossom into full fruition, a full and satisfying, magnificent life experience. For each one of us is where God shows up on this particular planet at this particular time for a unique reason that is yours and yours alone. So in this moment of stillness, I quiet my mind, I quiet my body, that I may listen, that I may tune in to that very high frequency of knowing, of being. And that everything that goes forth from this point onward I know is inspired, guided, supported, maintained, sustained in perfect order, in perfect time. Because there is that which has gone before and made the path absolutely clear. So I let go of any idea of the past, of any idea that I can't, shouldn't, wouldn't, am not worthy. Of course, of course we're all worthy. We are here and we are here now. There are no accidents. There is only the intention of God. Guess what? You're it. And so I give thanks. I give thanks that there is a center here and now that we may gather as community as one, where we may share and support each other in consciousness and with our physical presence. I'm grateful to know that the spiritual leaders of this planet are gathering as one in the coming week to share and to guide each other and to be a light 
of that same knowing in many individualized ways. And I am so grateful that at one end of this planet is being met by the political leaders at the other end in Copenhagen in the coming week to work out a plan that we may all live together in a synchronicity in our physical form as well. So I know that there is a great order and a great intelligence behind all of these events and behind the events in my life and your life in this moment and in days to come. And I'm grateful for every person that walks through this door and every person and every volunteer who makes this moment a real moment now. I let it be so. I know that all the good, all the God that is here in this moment spills over into every area of our lives. I let it be, and together let us claim, and so it is. Thank you. Thank you, Brown. Thank you to all our wonderful music musicians and singers today. They're wonderful. Anna Beaumont had her CD released last night, and I know they all did like triple duty this week. And I hear it was amazing. Thank you. So the title of my talk today is The Magician's Apprentice. And I kind of had to come up with that on somewhat short notice. And I chose it because it's the um, theme in the children's programs next month. We've been working off the overall theme of Discover the Magic in You. And the magic, of course, is that presence of spirit, that presence that sometimes seems a little mysterious, and we don't always know how it works, but yet we see the evidence of its work everywhere. And sometimes it feels a little magical when we don't know how things happen, but we see the miracles that do happen. And so the children have been working with this theme for a while. In September, it was feel the magic in you. Become aware that there is something and we feel, and we have lots of different feelings. And remember how Michael Beckwith said that we have that ability to, to feel things and have an experience and then still think something different. We don't always have to respond just to that experience. We can make a choice in spite of whatever we're feeling. In October, we did Magical Words Have Power. So we learned words like thank you, and we learned the words that we put into an affirmative prayer and how our words and our thoughts create our experience. This month we're doing Money Magic, and I'm really grateful to Kim Deep, who is bringing her Kids Make Sense financial literacy program to our children downstairs this month, and she's been here the last three weeks doing that. The Magician's Apprentice, I think, if, if God is the magician, then I, you, we, we are the apprentice. And I appreciate that I can be a lifelong learner, that I didn't just get an education and then everything stops. I'm grateful that I have the opportunity to continue learning. I didn't know, however, that when I chose this title, how magical the weeks leading up to today would be, and in fact, how magical yesterday even was for me. Yesterday, my son came home for his early Christmas holiday. For those of you that don't know, I have a son. He's 23, and he lives in Newfoundland, and so we only get to see him maybe once or twice a, a year now. And he's in the military, and he um, trained to be a, a search and rescue technician. And he is what they call fully operational now. He has completed his training, and now he's just a regular member of the team. And he goes out on missions, and he plucks people out of boats that are lost at sea or in some state that they can't return or bad weather, or they pick people off ice floes in the north or 
whatever problems people get into, it's his job to jump out of a helicopter and bring them back up and take them wherever they need to go. And it was very wonderful to see him and to see him so settled into his life uh, for the first time in a while because now that he's fully trained and fully operational, he received his promotion, he's making a little more money, and, and life is just settled in, and I can see how he has settled in. It was also a magic... Yes, it's wonderful, you know. When someone who comes through you, you know, takes off and, and is living a successful life, it's wonderful. I was there, I was a little, I was a little miffed, I've got to say, because I was there in Newfoundland visiting him in August, and I talked to some of you about that, I know. And the, day, the week after we left, you know what he did? He bought a hot tub for his deck. The week after I left. Anyway, he's enjoying it. The other thing that was magical about yesterday is that um, Nick has a cousin who is um, a couple of months younger than him. And about four years ago, his cousin was drafted into the NHL. And that was a lifelong dream for him. And last night, he got to play in his very first regular season televised NHL game. Yeah. If you were watching that Oiler game last night and you saw them pull the goalie a little way into the first period, they put my nephew in. So it was wonderful. And so I hope for these, these young men who have kind of made it in their lives that... Um, they don't give up on being a magician's apprentice as well. Because sometimes we do that, you know, we think, oh, I've got the education, I've got the job, life is good, I'm done, I'm just going to, you know, coast from here on out. Well, at this point in my life, I realize that's not really the way to go, that I want to keep learning, and I want to keep experiencing the magic that the magician has in mind for me. Because I think that there is something something that wants to be said through us, something that wants to be expressed and known through us. I think that that something had an idea and that that idea is embedded within each and every one of us and it's an original idea. And your idea and my idea are different ideas but yet they're both unique and they're both much needed to be benefit to all of us everywhere. And so I believe that it's really important for us to be willing to be the voice for that something that wants to be said. Ralph Waldo Emerson said, accept the place the divine providence has found for you, the society of your contemporaries, the connection of events. Great men have always done so and confided themselves childlike to the genius of their age, betraying their perception that the absolutely trustworthy was seated in their heart working through their hands, and predominating in all their being. Emerson said that we live in the lap of immense intelligence. And that intelligence makes us receivers of its truth and organs of its activity. I used to think, I used to value the mind that I had to think with. And I felt that as long as I had a mind to think with, life was good. And as a young person, I, got very, I was very discouraged to see other people being mistreated or maltreated based on physical appearances. 
So my career choice was to train as a physical therapist. And when I graduated as a new physical therapist, it was kind of my goal in life to support people, to see the value in people, to honor them and to bring out, help them be the best that they can be in spite of whatever physical circumstances they were finding themselves in. But at that point in my life, I also saw myself as separate from them. I saw myself as an independent, separate individual. I didn't understand that there was an invisible connection between all of life. But that, that career path, you know, that something that wants to be said and felt and known and experienced kept nudging at me and I kept having experiences that sort of poked me into thinking there was more to this life than maybe what I was understanding at that moment in time. And so I would have experiences like a, a patient or a client or someone who had a particularly challenging, you know, problem, you know, like a knee that wouldn't uh, straighten or bend or, or something. And I'd go home and I would have knee pain. And I wouldn't understand why, because I didn't hurt my knee. And my knee was perfectly fine, but why was it hurting? Things like that. And I started to hear that other people had those kinds of experiences too. And it sort of started to tweak me that maybe there's more to this life than what I was appreciating. And I had countless experiences really in that time that tried to get my attention and to show me that all of life is connected. So this lap of intelligence that Emerson refers to is truly a collective experience. And there are many in quantum science and quantum physics and whatnot that are trying to prove what Ernest Holmes has told us all along, that we are immersed in one substance, one primordial substance, and we are like light bulbs on a string of lights. I know I'm getting a little bit fuzzy there. We'll see if it goes away. Um, and so we are concentrated, we are dense areas where this energy shows up in the whole primordial mix. And that information gets transmitted in, some say, in wave-like um, energy patterns so that it can be transmitted instantly. You know how sometimes we just know things without knowing how or knowing why and multiple people know the same thing at the same time and we don't know how or why? Well, that's how some of the quantum physicists are sort of saying that we're, 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 we're just in this primordial mix of substance of energy. And that kind of describes what Ernest Holmes says when, when he said that God in us, as us, is us. That we are all together as one. And that we communicate, we vibrate, and we attract to us based on, you know, how we're vibrating. And so, have you seen Wayne Dyer's new movie? He made a movie called Shift. It's on the Spiritual Cinemas DVD, if anybody subscribes to that. I was watching it this past week, and um, he, um, he wanted to share, you know, the ideas that, that we talk about in New Thought Teachings and Science of Mind. And he put it into a movie with various plot lines. It's kind of cute. And he filmed it at a Silomar, which is where many of us have gone on retreat and for leadership conferences and whatnot as part of our parent organization, International Centers for Spiritual Living. And it's just a wonderful place by the ocean, Monterey. And, and so it's lovely just to, to watch it for that. But something that he said in there is that he said, we attract not what we want, but what we are. And so if we are a density in this primordial soup of energy and we're all connected and all one and we have access to all this information, 
what it tells me is that I don't just store information in my body. My body, this, this form that I take, is really like a transmitting and receiving station. And depending on the vibration that I'm tuned into, just like a radio, depends which frequencies I'm, I'm attracting to me. So what I am is more likely to attract, you know, how two tuning forks or whatever, one vibrates, the other one starts going too. That's kind of how we work in this primordial soup and how we attract the different frequencies. So I don't attract just what I want. I attract what I am. I attract at the level that I'm vibrating from all the energies in this primordial soup, so to speak. And so doing the work of a physical therapist, I got to prove and disprove a lot of this stuff to myself. But deep within me, I always had this desire to serve. Physical therapy is often called a helping profession in the medical field. And I really always had this innate and sometimes inexplicable need to be in service and to help. And I thought, I got a little sidetracked. When I came into this teaching, when I walked through the doors for the first time, it was truly, and I know many people have said the same thing to me, it felt like coming home. And coming to service on Sunday and going to classes and being with the youth, I really started to embrace a new idea about the connectedness and unity of all of life. But what I tended to do in the beginning was I kind of kept this as my refuge. And so I had my spiritual home, and I had my spirituality, and I had my spiritual books, and I was developing my spiritual practices. But then I had life. I had to go to work. I had to be a mom. I had to be a wife. I had to pay bills. And I kind of kept the two parts of my life a little bit separate. But as I started to understand what the spiritual teachings were telling me, I realized that what was happening for me in my spiritual life was starting to spill over into my other life. I realized that I was starting to show up a little calmer, with a little bit more patience, with a little bit more generosity, with a little bit more willingness to accept and be tolerant of myself and others. And so the two aspects of me started to integrate more and more. And I started to take risks and I started to take chances, which before I never would have done. I started to venture off and do some private work. And I, and I started to be willing to let go of that nine to five job and the paycheck and realize that the universe is going to support me because I'm, I'm getting in the flow with this whole spiritual stuff. So, so the two parts of my life sort of came together. And I realized, like, like um, Emerson says, is that the character that we are is what passes into the world. So the person that I felt myself becoming as I was waking up to myself spiritually, I couldn't help but show up at work as that person. But being in the science of mind meant that I didn't have to go and impose my beliefs on anyone else because we say we honor all teachings and beliefs. We know that there is no wrong way to pray or worship. There is... There are many paths and one destination. So I never felt the need to go around imposing my beliefs on anybody, but it was okay for me to show up as I am and who I am, and, and how can we not? And so life continued to unfold and transform, and new opportunities were always arising for me, and I kept learning and growing and evolving and being the magician's apprentice. It was easier to speak honestly, to speak kindly, to see the best in others, to allow the highest and best for one and all, and to become a better listener. And I'm still very drawn to this teaching, and I'm very drawn to sharing this teaching, because it has changed and transformed my life so much. And, and I do have a vision for myself to go beyond these walls and to share this, this teaching and what we know 
beyond. And, and I don't always know how that's going to look, but I know that something within me does and that the opportunities keep coming to me. So it was around last June that I was at my other work and my colleague sent me uh, a brochure by email and it was for a conference in Boston for this November. So to just catch you up if you don't know these details about me, I have a day job. I'm not just a minister here. I have a day job and I still work as a physical therapy consultant in the public school system with preschool age children who get labels like ADD and ASD and ODD and OCD and FAS and CP, all those things. Sometimes they are accompanied with a physical uh, challenge and sometimes a lot of these things, even though the label isn't there yet, Sometimes kids eventually get the label, but it's accompanied by over-responsivity to things in their environment or under-responsivity, short attention spans, difficulty focusing, difficulty learning language and communicating, or really maybe just simply having a different way of, of being in the world. And it makes it really challenging. And how do kids show it except through their behavior? So these are typically the kinds of kids that I see and as a physical therapist, my job is to ensure that they have strong bodies, that they develop their gross motor skills, that they have the coordination and the balance to be the best that they can be. And so that theme continues to run through my life. So when my colleague sent me this, um, this brochure for this workshop in Boston, this conference, it was great. It was all kinds of things that really pertain directly to the work that I do. And these kind of conferences don't really show up in this part of the world. So it was a really unique opportunity to go to Boston and to take part in this. And um, she did some of the legwork, and, and we got the verbal okay from, uh, from our principals to, to attend this conference. And then the wheels started turning in my head, you know, Boston, there has always been something in me that wanted to go to Boston. And I don't know if it was just media hype, because, you know, I'm, I, I used to watch St. Elsewhere when it was on long ago. And Cheers. And Boston Legal. And, of course, there's Boston Pizza. Oh, yeah. So there was something in me that really wanted to go to Boston. And so we got the approval, and we started making our plans. And the both of us were going to go, my colleague and I. And I said to her, you know, Boston's kind of a neat place. You know, we should kind of leave ourselves a little bit of time to play, you know, on each end of this conference. And so, indeed, we were able to work out our flights so that we had a little time before and a little time after. And then I started thinking about it, and I'm thinking, well, Boston's a really important place in history. A lot of important things happened in Boston. The pilgrims, you know, left England, people left Europe to come to the new world, to have a new life, to, to live a life the way they wanted to, to make their own choices. Uh, and this is the area that they came to. It's the seat of the uh, beginnings of the American Revolution. People that no longer wanted to be ruled by a monarchy in England where they had no representation, but where they had to send all this tax money to and whatnot. So, so here, all of the, the, the revolution people started to, to begin to change things. The Boston Tea Party, the Boston Massacre, all of that started to, to happen in Boston. So it's really rich in history. It's also very rich in the history of our teaching of new thought because it was Boston that Ernest Holmes, the founder of our teaching, went to 
when he left home, he, left, he was raised on a farm in Maine. And he left there when he was, uh, I don't know, not very old. 16, 17. He went to Boston. And he had family there to stay with and he worked. And it was in Boston that he started attending the Mother Church for Christian Science, where Mary Baker Eddy, who was the founder of that, um, was giving talks, you know, every Sunday, kind of doing what I'm doing today. And it was at the Mother Church in Christian Science that Ernest Holmes learned how to use mental practice, mental prayer, affirmative prayer, to heal himself and to heal others. And that Mother Church still is there, and I walked past it, and I got pictures and everything. And it was in Boston that Ernest Holmes went to the Boston Public Library, one of the first public libraries in that country, and started reading the works of Ralph Waldo Emerson. And so at the age of 18, 19, he started to be inspired by this wonderful literary genius. And it was in Boston that Ralph Waldo Emerson was born. And it was just a few miles down the road in Concord where Emerson lived and joined together with other like-minded souls to become the Transcendentalist Club, the, the, the early beginnings of new thought with the likes of Henry David Thoreau and Bronson Alcott and Louisa May Alcott, his daughter, who wrote Little Women. And they lived in Concord and their houses are still there and there are museums still there and they're buried there in the graveyard. So when I was planning this trip with my colleague, I said, you know, is it okay if we rent a car and go to Concord? And so that conference happened last week, or the week before this one. And we did. We rented a car, and we went to Concord, and we saw all these wonderful things. And we got to go into the museum where Emerson's library, his study, was still set up with the very pieces of furniture and things that he used. And you could still sense that energy was there. And we walked through the orchard house where Louisa May Alcott lived. And I stood in her bedroom where she wrote Little Women. And I saw the, the philosophy school that her father built where all these transcendentalists could come together and meet and teach other people about new thought that they don't have to do things the way things have always be done, been done. They don't have to believe everything that's always been believed. That, that the spirit, that there is something within them that is unique and original that needs to be spoken through them. And, and it is up to each one of us to find it. They started doing all of that way back in the 1800s. And they're buried there. And we went to the graveyard. And of course, by the time we did the museum thing and all that, it started to get a little dark. And we were in the graveyard and we had a hard time finding the, the tombstones. And before we knew it, dusk became pitch black. And here we were walking around the graveyard with our iPods and our cell phones, <laughs> reading... <laughs> the tombstones to find the names of these people. And we found them, and I have the pictures to prove that too. And on the last day, we spent the day in Boston, and we followed the Freedom Trail, this path that's mapped out in downtown Boston where all these incredible events happened. And I really got a sense and, and the essence of what was going on, that this was a very revolutionary time in consciousness, that these people were really ripe. To, to take over their own lives and be responsible for themselves and to educate themselves. And it was really wonderful to see and to feel and to be immersed in that place where this teaching grew out of. But of course, that wasn't the reason I went to Boston. That was just the side trip. The real reason I went to Boston was to attend this conference and to learn more about the best practices for the work that I do in schools with children. 
And so on the very first day of the conference, the very first morning of the conference, the very first keynote speaker, a woman was introduced. She was an occupational therapist, and I work with a lot of occupational therapists, and there's one over there now. And, um, and she was about my age. We have, you know, children the same age. She works with the same kind of kids that I work with. She's also a certified yoga instructor. So when she came up to the platform, she asked us to stand up, to close our eyes and to check in with our brains and find out what was going on in our brains. Were we thinking about things that had already happened? Were we living in the past? Were we thinking about worrying about things that were going to happen, you know, projecting into the future? What was going on? Check in with your brains. Check in with our bodies. You know, did anybody work out that day? You know, what was happening with our bodies, she said. And then she led us through a number of very simple movements of, you know, raising our arms, stretching our arms, bending over, bending sideways, turning, twisting, balancing, and coordinating all of it with our breath. That was, that felt fine. And then she asked the audience, and there were 300 of us there, she said, you know, what's important to know about Boston? Well, if you've been to Boston, Red Sox, okay? It's all about the Red Sox. So they started, you know, giving names of, you know, Red Sox players that they liked. So she had five names. So what she did is she took each name and she put it, she sung it to us and added an O at the end. And she would sing it and we would have to sing it back to her. So we went, Ortiz, 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 O. And we went back and forth and back and forth and back and forth for five players. And then she asked us to do some deep breathing. Plug one nostril and breathe in, and plug the other one and breathe out. And we did that a few times. And then we just stayed still. And then she asked us to check in with our brain again and our body. And all the while, the lights were dim, and she was playing this music in the background that was supposed to activate both sides of our brain. And when it was finished, I felt like I had just done my spiritual practice for the day. I felt wonderful. I was alert. I was calm. I was attentive. I was focused. She shared with us that this is a program or a taste of a program that she developed to use with the children that she works with in the schools that she's asked to consult to. And she works with the same kind of kids that I work with. Kids who have a hard time paying attention, focusing, learning, who have different styles of learning. And she got incredible results. And now she is the most popular person, I think, in that school district. And she is requested by teachers and principals and, and on and on to share this program. She had to, to videotape or you know, make a DVD of herself because she can't be in all the places that she needs to be at. But more than anything, what she did was she validated for me the last 20 years of my life. She gave me a way to take my spiritual practices without calling them that and bring them into the school setting. And she was having amazing results with it. I couldn't wait to come home because the conditions were ripe within me. You see, I had the ears, I had the eyes, I had the heart, I had the sense to understand the message that this woman was giving me. I had the courage to speak up about it, to share it. And I had built the relationship, I had the rapport with the staff that I work with that I came back and I said, hey, I want to try something. And they let me. And then more teachers asked me to try it because what happened is that there were instantaneous changes in these children that previously couldn't sit still for very long, that couldn't focus and attend 
that had a hard time learning. All of a sudden, they were staying on task a little bit longer. They followed what I did. They liked it. Everybody was paying attention. It was wonderful. And so this, this duality that I lived for the longest time of keeping my spiritual life here and my work life there, all of a sudden, someone showed me how I could bring it all together really successfully. And I don't have to... I don't have to promote it. There are people, the teachers, the principal emailed me. And he said, can you share this with the elementary teachers too? Of course. It was wonderful. It was wonderful and it was validating. And it, and it just told me that there is unity in life, in everything. That there is something that needs to be spoken through me, through each and every one of us. And that the universe conspires to make it all happen. I don't know how... It planted that idea that I needed to be in Boston. I don't know how it planted in me all of the, the right things to have that person there and, and to have all of this information and for me to be ready to hear it and to run with it. But it did. And so, T.S. Eliot said, We shall not cease from exploration, and the end of all our exploring will be to arrive where we started and know the place for the first time. Opening to being the apprentice, to let ourselves be lived by the magic within us, to be open to the higher inner guidance of the magician, to the mystery, to the I don't always understand how and why, but I'm going to show up and take part anyway. Wayne Dyer in his film said, allow this source flowing through each and every one of us to do and perform its magic and the magic will always work in our best interest. And not just in our best interest, but for the benefit of all of us. Because there's no doubt that as I practiced this little process with these children, the teachers came back and said, gee, I felt calmer too. That was pretty cool too. So let us be open to using this power for good. This power for good is a divine organizing intelligence. It supports all things, all people. It supports and organizes our bodies, our lives, our thoughts, our words, and our actions. Let it flow through us. Let us ask, how may I serve? Because you know what happens when we ask, how may I serve? The universe responds. You know what it responds with? How may I serve you? Remember that we attract to us not what we want, but who we are. When we are ready to step up and say, How may I serve? We also are served by an entire universe, an entire intelligence that is all-powerful, all-knowing, and everywhere present, right where we are. It has already planted within each and every one of us a unique idea. Each one of us was chosen to express that idea in a unique way. And our lives, our life experience are, is our opportunity to create the conditions just right for that to come into full bloom and full blossom. Yes, this was my story and this is the way the events unfolded for me. But you have your own story. You have your own way of knowing. You have your own unique purpose in life. There is something within you that wants to be said and expressed just as much. Get ready. Ready yourself 
to listen, to learn, be willing to be that magician's apprentice so that all of this that is conspired conspires through you in the right and perfect way and when it happens you can just run with it for the benefit of yourself and not just you but for the benefit of all Wayne Dyer said you have a calling and you have as much right as anyone to answer that calling don't ignore those feelings when they come up for you because there is that place deep within you it wants to be fulfilled don't ignore it life's energies will take care of the details because there is something there is something that wants to be said by means of you and you are the one namaste thank you thank you right on to